2: Happy Monday, football fans, and welcome in to another edition of The Chase Podcast. I'm Isaac Sines and I thank you for joining me. In today's episode, I recap Championship Sunday and give my thoughts on each matchup. The Saints squandered a 10-point lead in the second half and ultimately saw their season come to an end in overtime. However, it was a missed call late in the fourth quarter that had Sean Payton and the Saints furious about the loss.
1: Just getting off the phone with the league office. They blew the call, and uh, there are a lot of opportunities, though, but that call puts it first and ten. We're on an E3 plays, and it's a game-changing call.
2: While the media blows up the headlines about the controversial no call, Rams quarterback Jared Goff believes they earned the victory as a team.
1: Definitely went through a whole gamut of emotions when the field goal went in from, you know, excited to, uh, you know, emotional to, uh, you know, just overwhelmingly happy and um,
0: very excited man to get to play in the Super Bowl and um, we earned it, we deserve it.
2: The Patriots are headed to the Super Bowl for the fourth time in five years. But this trip appears to have a different feel for the 41-year-old Tom Brady, who's set to play in his ninth title game.
0: You know, yeah, it's just, it's a great feeling. I think we've overcome a lot this year. Um, you know,
1: down but not out. And we found a way to play our best the last four games. Buffalo Jets had the bye, played great against Chargers. Played really well today. And uh, we're gonna need one more great game. So that was a pretty great way to
2: end it. I was probably as excited as I've been in a long time. Kansas City's Super Bowl aspirations were crushed in an overtime thriller on Sunday night. But Patrick Mahomes believes they can build and grow from their tough loss.
1: We have a lot of young guys on this team. And, uh... I mean, it hurts. Uh, it hurts everybody.
2: Uh, we knew we had the opportunities this game and this season, and we put in the work. But uh, we know that this can this can be a building block. It could be something that that carries us in the future. I mean, right now it's the end, but uh, hopefully it's just the beginning of a of a long time. I will discuss all of that and more coming up in the latest episode of the Pro Football Chase Podcast. The Fall is another production of the Chase Podcast, covering the latest news and analysis around the National Football League. Turn the volume up. The Chase is on and the Chase is live. Now, let's, let's say what's your voice. Faces, solid! It is Monday, January 21st here on the Pro Football Chase Podcast. Isaac signs coming to you live yet again here on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So I know a lot of you are off from work, from school on this holiday. So not a better day than to recap such an intense day of football that Sunday brought us. It was Championship Sunday. The hype was real leading up to both these two marquee matchups between the number one seeds and the number two seeds in the AFC and the NFC. But boy, let me tell you what, as an NFL fan, those games had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. And get this, for the first time in the Super Bowl era, both the AFC and NFC title games Went to overtime, so how about that? We watched history unfold before our very own eyes. So a lot to get into here. And obviously the first game that I want to recap is this Los Angeles Rams-New Orleans Saints game. That was the first of the doubleheader at 3.05 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. But boy, this has been a controversial game all that is being talked about in the wake of the Rams victory is that no call that should have been pass interference on Nickel Roby Coleman late in the fourth quarter. I'll get into that a little bit more, but it was Greg Zerline Legatron, as they call him, who converted two big time field goal attempts, one to send the game into overtime and then the 57 yard winner to send L.A. to the Super Bowl for the first time in 17 years. And get this, Zerline's 57-yarder is tied for the third-longest field goal in NFL playoff history and the second-longest against New Orleans in the playoffs, only behind Graham Gano's 58-yard field goal in the 2017 wildcard playoff game. The Saints, they dropped to 1-2 all-time in conference championships. The loss was Sean Payton's first home playoff loss. Now his all-time postseason record falls to 8-6. And and his home playoff record falls to 6-1. The Saints came out surging as it looked like almost an identical start. Similar to the first meeting between these two teams, the Saints jumped out. To a 13 to nothing lead on the Rams. Playing in his franchise record 14th playoff game as a Saint, Drew Brees finished 26 of 40 for 249 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Alvin Kamara, he totaled a postseason high in receptions and receiving yards, finishing with 11 catches for 96 yards. However, he was a non-factor on the ground as he was bottled up to 15 yards on 8 carries. And then you look at his running partner, Mark Ingram, who just had 31 yards on 9 carries. New Orleans, they totaled 48 yards on 21 carries as a team, which was a 2.3 yards per carry average. And so going into this game, that was one of the focal points for the Saints and their chances of advancing to the Super Bowl. It was about establishing the rushing attack early and often because again, this is a Rams defensive front that ranked 23rd in the regular season. They allowed a league-worst 5.1 yards per carry. Now, this LA front, Wade Phillips, he has made some Great adjustments as we saw in the divisional round where they completely took away Ezekiel Elliott and what the Dallas Cowboys like to do, which is ground and pound. So their strong performance was not surprising based on what they were able to accomplish against the Cowboys, but I still expected the Saints and this offensive line to get some success going, but that was not the case and ended up hurting the Saints offensively because there was many opportunities early in this game where had the Saints been able to establish a little bit of a rhythm with Kamara and Ingram, they may have been able to punch in a couple of touchdowns as opposed to settling for field goals. Because look at this, instead of it being 13-0 with a touchdown and two field goals, they could have easily had it 21-zipped. There in the first half and could have put the nail in the coffin in Sean McVay's resilient Rams team. However, they let the Rams hang around amidst a treacherous start. The dome was rocking. Jared Goff later came out after the game and told reporters that he could not hear a single thing inside his helmet from Coach McVay, which completely rattled him and the offense. They were discombobulated. Demario Davis ended up intercepting a tipped pass off the hands of Todd Gurley, which again set up that New Orleans score to Taysom Hill. But my gosh, this was a picture-perfect start for the Saints and an absolute nightmare for the Rams We saw Todd Gurley stumble out of the gates in what was really an interesting turn of events where C.J. Anderson out snapped them significantly. And you saw many sports analysts, the commentators, Rams fans, Saints fans, NFL fans wondering, where is Todd Gurley? He ended up rushing for 10 yards and a touchdown on just four carries. He caught one pass for three yards, okay? And his five touches from scrimmage were a career low, as were his 13 total yards. And the 32 snaps Gurley played were his fewest in a game since his rookie season, as well as the fewest of any Rams offensive player that took the field on Sunday. Now, it wasn't as if C.J. Anderson was a world beater because he was contained for the most part, rushing for 44 yards on 16 carries. And as for L.A., they were not able to get much going. They rushed for 77 yards on 26 carries as a team with a 3.0 yards per carry average. And, of course, the touchdown, which Todd Gurley punched in before halftime, But when you look at what L.A. did, they were able to settle down, calm their nerves. They put together an impressive drive. As I just talked about, before the break, Jared Goff methodically picked apart this Saints secondary, put him in a position to make it a three-point game where it was 20-17 at halftime. That was a beautiful throw by Goff that set up the touchdown to Brandon Cooks down the left sideline, who, by the way, Cooks showed up to play seven receptions for 107 yards. He got P.J. Williams turned around, was able to run underneath Jared Goff's lofted pass. And so a lot of that and that momentum drive for Sean McVay's unit I think paid dividends in the long run because it gave the Rams a jolt of life knowing that, hey, we've got this crowd right where we want them. They've been ruckus all game long, but when they were able to hit the silencer at that moment of the game, I look at that being a critical stretch for Los Angeles and their eventual victory. But going back to that play in the fourth quarter, Breeze drove the Saints down to the Rams' 13-yard line. And that is when chaos ensued there in New Orleans and around the National Football League. Breeze dropped back and lofted a pass on third down in the direction of receiver Tommy Lee Lewis. As it soared incomplete, Nikel Roby Coleman had his back to the play and drilled Lewis in the helmet before the ball arrived. No penalty was called, sending Peyton screaming down the sideline. And the Saints ended up settling for a field goal. Will Lutz put it in from 31 yards out, which gave the Saints a 23-20 advantage with 101 seconds remaining in the game. So it gave the Rams life with a timeout at their disposal. And here's where everybody is saying that if that penalty is called as it should have, where the NFL already came out and admitted that that should have been a pass interference, and if it wasn't a pass interference, it was a helmet-to-helmet call because Nikel Roby-Coleman absolutely plastered Tommy Lee Lewis. Really, you could have made an argument that he was a defenseless receiver. It really didn't matter if the ball was uncatchable, as many people are claiming. Regardless, a flag should have come out, and that should have given the Saints a new set of downs, which would have allowed the Saints to... Take a couple of kneels as Sean Payton mentioned in his post-game presser. They let the Rams use that final timeout. They kick a field goal and they give the ball to the Rams with about 10 to 15 seconds as opposed to giving him the ball with that timeout with over a minute left in regulation. So that was a humongous sway play that obviously many believe dictated the outcome of this game and it has many saints players of course sean payton and even a lot of nfl players in general from other teams reacting on social media after the game calling for a change next season they want pass interference calls to be reviewable moving forward. Because on a play like that, on that level, at that point in the game, for it to not be called may have just cost the Saints a chance to the Super Bowl. Now, here's my take on it. And I understand. I'm quick to agree with Sean Payton and the Saints. I understand they got robbed. I mean, that right there was a blatant call that simply was not Enforced when it should have, but at the same time, ladies and gentlemen, let's also give the Rams credit for winning the game, okay? Sure, the Saints took the lead, and New Orleans defense still had the chance to stop the Rams from getting in field goal range before the end of regulation. Did they stop Jared Goff from moving the ball down and Zerline from hitting that field goal at the end of regulation? No. Overtime ensues, the Saints get the ball first, the Saints had an opportunity to take that ball down the field and end it while they could have. Did they do that? No, they did not. The Rams defense stepped up when they needed to the most. Dante Fowler came up the middle, rattled Drew Brees, forced him to throw a duck pass out in space which George Johnson came away with the interception, which later set up the game-winning field goal. So my point is this. Yes, that missed call is horrible, and it's bad for the NFL, the reputation of the players. The players work way too hard for this moment for a referee to alter the outcome of an NFC championship game. But the Saints had their opportunities to win this game. They had a 13-0 lead in the first half. They had a 10-point lead in the third quarter. Yet they never were able to put away the Rams. And you have to give McVeigh, Jared Goff, and that entire group kudos for battling it out, for continuing to put up with the noise, and for eventually giving themselves a shot to win a game in a hostile environment. And so while everybody wants to talk... And blow up the headlines about that one play. I think we just have to get to the point, And I know it's easier said than done if you're a Saints fan. But you have to come to the realization that the Rams won it. When overtime started, it was a brand new game. It was a 0-0 affair. The Saints had the ball. Drew Brees had the game in his hands. Had the opportunity in his hands to go down the field and at minimum kick a field goal to put pressure on the Los Angeles Rams to match them. If not, that's the game. But overshadowed by what happened late in the fourth, Dante Fowler, who was a trade acquisition for the Los Angeles Rams, came barreling down up the middle and created a significant play that has now sent his team to the title game. So what a game it was. And it's something that has generated plenty of buzz, that's for sure. But at the end of the day, when the dust settled and the sun went down and the sun has come up again on Monday, the Rams are the winners and have booked themselves a chance and an opportunity to take home the Lombardi Trophy. On we go to the AFC Championship game, which... We all thought after watching the first game, we figured, man, I don't know if there's a way that this game can be as good as the NFC title game, but I think it was even better. The number two seeded Patriots went to Arrowhead to take on Patrick Mahomes and the top seeded Chiefs. This game was very cold. Now, of course, forecasters were saying there was an Arctic blast on the way where they were at one point predicting temperatures to be 5 degrees or maybe even below zero. Temperatures were still frigid at 16, 17 degrees, and it was a chilly evening there in Kansas City, Missouri. But despite squandering a first-half lead and finding themselves in a shootout against one of the league's most potent offenses, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots discovered a way to reach yet another Super Bowl and will be on the biggest stage on February 3rd. So there you have it. The Patriots continue their trend. They're booking their way to Atlanta to represent the AFC for the fourth time in the last five years. This was a game where I chose the Chiefs to win this one, 34-30. to So although I didn't get the game right, I was pretty close in that same ballpark. Now, it didn't look like it was going to be a high-scoring affair just based on the outcome of the first half because the New England Patriots, they came out ready to play. you got to give Josh McDaniels a ton of credit because they came right out of the gates. 15-play drive, 80 yards, masterpiece of precision and versatility, consistently confusing the Chiefs' defense and kept them backpedaling and off-balance for more than eight consecutive minutes of playing time. And then, of course, that drive was finished by Sony Michelle, who scored to get the Patriots an early 7-0 lead. And then offensively, Brian Flores, the de facto defensive play caller for the Patriots, who is the impending head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Boy, that guy had himself a night, and he solidified himself as a viable candidate. Because we all know this. The New England Patriots, they don't have an ultra-talented defense. Brian Flores isn't playing with Pro Bowl caliber players other than Stephon Gilmore, who, by the way, was a first-team All-Pro. You got McCordy, who is a very good player in his own right, Dante Hightower, Trey Flowers. So, yeah, they have some names out there that can make some plays for you. But what I'm saying is they don't have the superstar power on defense like a team, let's say the Rams do, with Aaron Donald and Dominican and Sue. Marcus Peters, Lamarcus Joyner. So you get the point. What I'm saying is, it was the scheme, it was the game plan that Brian Flores had because they completely shut down Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City in the first half. They took a 14 to nothing lead into the break, and the numbers were absolutely baffling because at halftime, New England had 16 first downs. Kansas City had three. New England had 245 yards of offense. Kansas City had 32. New England possessed the ball 21 minutes and 7 seconds. The Chiefs had it for just 8 minutes and 53 seconds. New England they established the running game with Sony Michelle. They used bigger personnel that featured two tight ends and fullback James Devlin, which was a big part of their offensive game plan. They knew that Kansas City's weakness as a defense was stopping the run up the middle. So what does Tom Brady and McDaniels do to open up the game? Well, they consistently drove the ball right down the A and B gaps until Kansas City made adjustments to stop them. Because I was just thinking about it when I was watching that game. I said, man, New England hasn't even had to stretch the field in the past game because they've had so much success with Sony Michelle in between the tackles, and then Tom Brady would go to those short, quick routes out in the flats to James White, which I believe his first six receptions went for six first downs, and then you also had Julian Edelman over the middle, who was making the Kansas City secondary pay in yards after the catch. Gronkowski was getting in the mix early on, so it was just a perfect storm for this Patriots offense, as well as that defensive pass rush. You saw Adrian Claiborne, Trey Flowers, a lot of cover zero that was being dialed up by Flores bringing the blitz. Patrick Chung, I feel like, was blitzing Patrick Mahomes almost on 50% of the snaps he was coming down. And that's one thing that really surprised me because actually when I previewed this AFC championship game, I talked about how New England probably was not going to be giving Mahomes that cover zero look and blitz package because of what he could do once he got rolling out of the pocket. And yes, of course, Mahomes is such a talented gunslinger that he did have his moments, including that 150-plus-yard pass he dropped on a dime to Sammy Watkins. But other than that... The Patriots were able to corral him. They were able to fluster him in the pocket. They had consistent movement. And you got to give a lot of credit to New England and what they're able to do up front, especially by collapsing the interior of Kansas City's offensive line. You look at Malcolm Brown, Danny Shelton, Butler who was in there playing a role, getting their hands up at the line of scrimmage because they completely wiped away Kansas City's strengths, they basically said, all right, Mahomes, you're the MVP front runner. We want to see you beat us with your arm because they took away Kansas City's run game. And in the process, Bill Belichick pulled out his mantra of eliminating the opposing team's top threats. And that was the case again, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know how he does it, I don't know how his different rotations of players and film study, it baffles me and it's so puzzling as an NFL fan because here you have it entering this contest. You knew that Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey were by far Mahomes' top two targets and they had themselves sensational regular season You saw both of those guys playing a heavy factor in Kansas City's offense. And even the last time these two teams met in Foxborough, Tyreek Hill went off for over 150 yards receiving and a whopping three touchdowns. And I talked about this on this mic on Friday when Jarrell Worthy joined me to preview these games. I said, man, you know Belichick is going to look to take away at least one of these guys. Whether it be Kelsey, whether it be Hill, and then they would just live with the outcome of whichever one they cut loose and said, hey, we'll let him get his yards, but as long as we take away him in the red zone, we're going to win the battle. In fact, I was proven wrong. They took away both of these guys. I know Travis Kelsey scored a touchdown, but looking at their stats, Tyreek Hill... The most explosive receiver in football was held to one reception for 42 yards. And Travis Kelsey, three receptions for 23 yards. And of course, that touchdown, they were non-factors for the entire course of the game. I know the Chiefs put together a big-time second half where they outscored New England 31-17. to And... In the process, 24 of those 31 points were put up in the fourth quarter alone. And so Patrick Mahomes, the dude, deserves his fair share of credit. 16 of 31 for 295 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. This is a calm, cool, collected guy that never seemed phased by the moment when New England looked like they had taken control of the game. On many occasions, he rose to the occasion. He kept his team encouraged, motivated. And to me, that speaks volumes of the type of leader that he has emerged there for the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid. But I just feel like in the end, it was Tom Brady who prevailed once again and which was touted as a game that was a quote-unquote passing of the torch where many people, including myself, expected Mahomes to take that torch from Tom Brady, the 41-year-old ageless wonder, and lead his team... To the Super Bowl championship in his first season starting in replacement of Alex Smith. And what a story that would have been. But Tom Brady, who still sits on that throne, said, "Uh uh-uh, not yet, young fella. I'm still sitting atop the NFL. And his play backed that up. 30 of 46 348 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Of course, one of those interceptions went off the fingertips of Julian Edelman into the hands of Daniel Sorensen. So really, that one pick shouldn't really be credit to his name. But of course, we all know it will, right? It's an interception. But the look of Tom Brady in overtime when New England won that coin toss. And by the way, I mean, I'm missing so much. I think this game just had so many elements That if I were to break down each case, I would be here for an hour. But moving to overtime after Mahomes with under 40 seconds, led his team and put him in field goal range to make it into overtime. The Patriots, they got the ball first. And Tom Brady picked apart the Chiefs defense once more. And here's another interesting development that I might add, okay? Because I just saw this this morning. But according to Peter King of NBC's Football Morning in America, Tom Brady said that they were still installing new plays into their game plan on Sunday morning in the hotel ballroom. I mean, at this point, is that even supposed to surprise us as NFL fans? And here's what Brady had to say, open quote. We just put in eight new plays in the game plan this morning, Brady told reporters after the game. When players, apparently they went in for their 11 a.m. team meeting at that Western Crown Center in Kansas City, players were told that they were installing new plays then. They walked through each of them and Brady said they ran four or five of them during the game. The third and 10 pass to Rob Gronkowski in overtime wasn't practiced either. That quick slant that McDaniels decided to dial up was based on the coverage played By Chief Safety Eric Berry. So there you have it. Creativity, offensive knowledge, and wisdom from Brady and McDaniels to take what the defense is giving them. And I don't think any NFL team in the history of football plays the game of cat and mouse better than Belichick, Brady, and McDaniels. And in the end, On a drive where Kansas City's defense looked tired, Brady led his team down the field, and Rex Burkett capped it off with the game-clinching score to send New England dancing yet again. But just to put a bow on this game, New England simply dominated the Chiefs. 37-31 outcome, but look at the stat sheet. The Patriots outgained Kansas City 524 to 290. They won the overall time of possession 4359 to 2053. They had 36 first downs to the Chiefs 18. And lastly, they ran 94 plays, and Kansas City just ran 47. It shows once again the genius of Bill Belichick. The wrath of Tom Brady and the prominence of this New England Patriots dynasty that will be in the Super Bowl once more. You can hate them, but you have to respect them. When they take center stage on Super Bowl Sunday against the Los Angeles Rams, it's going to be something to watch to see how that game shapes up. By the way, I'll be previewing that game when the time comes, right? We have a week off. It's Pro Bowl next Sunday, so I'll have some... NFL players on for some interviews this week to provide you some more content here from the Pro Football Chase podcast. But that's going to do it for today's recap. I appreciate you taking the time to listen in. I'm sure you have your own thoughts about what went on in both of these games. I love to hear them. So always feel free to direct message me, reach out, let's chat about it some more. But until Wednesday, have a blessed rest of the day and take care.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.